Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders, welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. It is that time again. It is the time of the month. We're at the end of the month and we're getting closer and closer to Halloween this month because it's October. And it is the time that I get together with our tier four and higher patrons to have a very interesting conversation about something that we've been kicking around for the last week or two uh, with topics and things in the Discord. And this month we decided to tackle the scariest creatures in the fallout games and with me this month we have three of our tier four or higher patrons uh one of our patrons wasn't able to make it so we'll just have to say hi to them maybe next month when they can join us but starting off we have our newest tier four patron victor welcome to the show victor thank you i i'm really excited to talk about fallout with people Yeah, yeah. And we've been having some fun conversations during our live streams where you've popped into the live stream and we've been talking all sorts of interesting things that you and I are both into when it comes to uh, just, you know, ideas and human beliefs and all sorts of really cool stuff. And I'm excited to hear what you're going to talk about today. The nature of man in general, which affects video games deeply, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be really, really good. And then this month, we also have Woman on Fire coming back. Welcome, Woman on Fire. <laughs> Hey, good to be hey. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good to talk again. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're joining us again for another month. Me too. And then uh wrapping it up, we have Aperture Flash again recording from the uh the cockpit of his gigantic truck. <laughs> How's it going, folks? Is it called a cockpit? A cockpit? Can we call it that? Cabin. Okay. I mean cockpit. I can I can yeah. call it a cockpit. Yeah, let's call it a cockpit. Because it's like a okay. I mean, it's the closest thing we have to, like, I don't know, space hauler. It just happens to be on the ground. <laughs> you know, I'll go space trucking with you, Tom. Space trucking. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I've been, playing, I've been playing a bit of The Outer Worlds. I haven't spent a ton of time in it, but man, I haven't come across any space trucks yet, but that would be cool. Space truck. Oh, man, that, that, that's an entirely different topic that you can send me off onto, like, a, an hour-long tirade on space trucking. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that like the definition of EVE Online? Mm. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Something like that. And spreadsheets. Lots of spreadsheets. So, uh, so let's, let's move on from space trucking, and we're going to get into our topic today. I wanted to kick off the topic this time with just a, a very brief touch on one of the really obvious horrors of the Fallout series. And with Fallout comes the FEV virus mutations and a lot of discussion around things like ghouls, which we'll touch on later. Uh, but you know, super mutants and those kinds of things. And one of the things that really just kind of got me, <laughs> I think from just a very fundamentally disturbed place is the body horror that you come across in these games. Things like, um, I remember the first time I played through New Vegas and coming across the centaurs 
and seeing them from a distance and thinking, okay, what is that crawly humanoid looking thing over there? And getting closer and then one running up on you with its like torso with the teeth coming out of the chest and the extra arms that worked as legs and the face that looked very much like a man, but with like multiple lengths of tongues coming out of the mouth. Do you guys remember experiencing them in New Vegas? Oh, yes. <laughs> Did they creep no, you out? I remember experiencing them in three. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Were they, were they in three also? They were no, only in three. They were in the three Sempers? and New Vegas. They're, they were in New I, Vegas. I, yeah. Were they? They're in, yeah, yeah. They were in both. Oh. Oh. I think okay. they, uh, for some reason, the ones in New Vegas really stood out to me more. And I'm not sure if I just didn't play through areas in three that had them. Um, but there's something about coming across them in New Vegas and they're little like the nests that I remember specifically, there were nests that they would be like groups of them in around, uh, oh, right. in, around in, uh, like, go ahead. It was near, it was near the town vertebrate, wasn't it? It might've been, there were these like in holes canyon? in the ground where there were like pipes and very high levels of radiation. And they would often like hang out down there. And sometimes there'd be like a container with something really good in it. But you'd have to get through like this group of just these gross looking, you know, humanoid monsters. And I remember that just like creeping me out. Those guys coming running at you with their little extra alarms and tongues, whapping, whapping, flapping, whatever the word is in the wind. <laughs> Super Honest, gross. Honestly, with centaurs, like that's the closest to J horror body horror that I've seen come out of American uh, video gaming because the only other stuff I've seen that really kind of matches it is Silent Hill with Konami and Kojima. And mm -hmm. then the artwork of um, horror mangaka Junji Ito, who does a lot of body horror manga. And, oh, wow. I'm not, yeah. I'm not so versed in that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, actually, Ito was supposed to work su supposedly on Hills before it got canceled. But like for stuff that came out of American minds, or at least Western minds for horror that's the closest to the very intense body horror that Japan tends to do a lot of focus in if they're not doing ghosts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because you're right. It isn't something you come across in a lot of other, uh, at least in the games that we put out, a lot of Western games don't really do much in body horror, even, even games that deal with like aliens and stuff. I mean, you look at even the series alien and the way the aliens look is a type of body horror. They're kind of humanoid. They're kind of, you know, almost look like mutated humans with more of this, uh, I don't know, animalistic kind of alien feel to them. And you look at the artwork that inspired that, and it's got definitely this body horror, you know, long, elongated arms, extended heads, those kinds of things. But you don't have it in the same way as you have with something like uh, a centaur or a snallygaster, where you have I just this like lump of flesh that is mutated in this really weird direction with multiple eyes or multiple arms. I think part of it might be at least with Western horror. Horror is one of my favorite things. Um, Western horror, even when it goes closer to body horror, the face becomes distinctly non-humanoid. Um, Predator is probably the closest we get to a humanoid face in, in horror, unless we're talking about like flat out human disfigured horror. Um, mm -hmm. The difference in Fallout is, yeah, you've, you've got the arms and the elongated and weird bodies, but the face is still humanoid. And humans have this thing for seeing faces and things. Yes. Um, and so being able to very quickly identify that that is a human face, and therefore that is a human who has gone through something unspeakable, just kind of makes it a deeper gut punch for horror. Right, right. You can, that, that could have been me. That's that thing with the face guy could be in that, that situation. And that's a, that's a good point because, uh, with all, all of the body horror stuff, or at least when it comes to centaurs and snallygasters, you, they are connected all the way back to experiments with the FEV virus. The centaurs were experimented on by the master. They were part of that initial group of experiments that turned into super mutants and those kinds of things. And these are some that came from from that, that group of experimentation. When it comes to the Snallygasters in Fallout 76, they too were experimented on at the facility in uh, West Virginia, which also created the super mutants and some of the other weird creatures in, 
in West Virginia. So all of these things come from that experimentation on humans and that idea that you're what you're the thing that you're fighting, something inside that thing was human, especially when you can see the face of it and the face in the sense of the uh, the um, uh, <laughs> centaur. That's the, the first one uh, is definitely very humanoid. And yeah, something's super creepy about that. I remember um, I started off with four, so there were no centaurs in four. And then I went back and played three. And in three, the centaurs basically were the super mutant pets, the same way as the mutant hounds are in four. And the first time one of those things came running at me, I just about jumped off the couch. What is this? Anything like that. It was horrifying. It was just so surreal. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty messed up looking. Well, let's move on from that because I know, uh, Victor, you have a very different type of horror you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about like scariest enemies, I know that like a lot of the kind of common enemy enemies, if you will, the unnamed ones like Snallygaster or uh, just general centaurs or uh, mutant hounds are kind of what people thought of. But I was there's another layer of horror in fallout of just how terrible humans can be to one another. Um, for a character who most people don't consider an enemy, but he can turn aggro and kill you. Um, Joshua Graham scares the pants off me. Like that is a man who holds very firmly to what he believes in. And if in the course of that, between protecting himself, protecting the ones around him, all that jazz, he's not afraid to just straight up look look at you in cold blood and put a bullet between your eyes. Like, that's oh, the kind had, of man. Well, he had a and, really great quote about that. Yeah. Um, I can't he say it off the top of my head. He said, uh, I do not enjoy killing, but when done righteously, it is nothing more than a chore. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of attitude... Like, I, I have a, a huge amount of respect for him as a character, and it's honestly one of my favorite portrayals of a character that's not a full-out companion in Fallout. Um, I think he was just done wonderfully as a character. But then again, like I said, he scares the pants off me. Like, I know that if I tried to cross him, he, he wouldn't revel in it, but he would put me in the ground. It's um, very matter-of-fact. It's very exactly. just, if this is what I need to do, then I will do it. No bones yeah. about it. Just no, you, no, this is what I'll do. Straight up that. And then the other one that really makes me think is I feel so bad for the Garys. Like, <laughs> first of all, I double, checked, I double checked what the vault that they come out of was. The experiment for their vault didn't have a fucking thing to do about, about cloning. Like, that cloning was just something that happened on the side. The actual experiment was about leadership and, like, what happens when a leader... Um, dies without having really set up a good base before him because of the uh, overseer dying within 40 months because of cancer. And just because the scientists kind of had a lab and nothing to do, they started playing around with cloning. And they never meant it wasn't a cloning experiment like other kinds of quote-unquote more scientific experiments like those involving um, the panacea in the vault that you find curian or like the, halluc uh, the hallucinogenic drugs or any of the other kind of like really intense human experimentation. It wasn't being done like that. Like the harm of humans was not being directed by vault tech. This was just scientists being curious, but they kept training. And eventually you've got all of these characters who or all of these beings who they don't show the same level of intelligence as like the original Gary or any of the other humans, but they can, they have enough intelligence to tell who is a clone and who isn't. And they're able to make that distinction. And honestly, I think part of the, the aggression towards the player and towards non clones is because somewhere in the cloning process, I, I think this is just fan theory that, their mental ability to communicate degraded rapidly. I mean, they technically can only say stuff like Gary, <laughs> right. um, but in the wiki, apparently you can't hear them say, be careful, and when you kill them, they, they can be heard to say no. 
But overall, that's all we can say. It's just Gary. Right. Mostly just Gary. <laughs> and I, to me, I feel like part of the ag- uh, aggression just comes from they can't communicate. With the like other a frustration, people, like an internal frustration, like they can't yeah. actually do, get outside themselves. And on top of that, like if if they can't they can't talk to us, and I, as far as I can tell, they don't understand a single thing anybody else but the clones say. So there's also that fear of the unknown. I don't know you. You aren't talking to me. I can't understand you. Scared, scared. Human reaction is to lash out. Right. So right, especially because you're inside their their home. Yeah, you, you come into the vault um, and, and invade their safe space to a degree. And, you know, they almost. Sorry, I don't, don't mean to cut in, but it almost sounds like you're, to a degree, you're describing um, autism. Like, it, it's sort of just kind thinking. Of... Pardon? Sorry, woman on fire? Did, did you say something? Oh, I was just saying that's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, a certain like, limitation in ability to communicate, uh, internal frustration, uh, yep. those kinds of things are very, very common among uh, people who have autism because, and, and I don't know a ton about it, but yeah, I think you're right. There's, there is a similarity there. Yeah, and actually I hadn't thought of it, but you guys are totally right in pointing that out. And I think, I think it really hit home to me how much the Garys, like they don't want to attack other people. They just want to be left alone with their clones. Um. What really kind of made that hit home for me is if you do the DLC for Operation Anchorage, um, where you do that sim for, I don't remember if it's the Brotherhood or the Outcasts of the Brotherhood, but you go into the simulation to go through the, uh, uh, the saving of Anchorage, Alaska. Right, you experience the combat. Yeah. Right. Well, once, you, once you come out, so long as, you, you know, there, there's the conflict after you come out of the simulation, but then, depending on which side you pick or whatever, you can uh, end up just exploring the rest of the bunker. And you see a Gary, and he's labeled as a Gary, and he has his arm cut off. And there's a cut holotape or some other kind of record where they're trying to, like, uh, they're trying to get this pit boy off of Gary. And you can just hear him say, all he can say is Gary. And he has no idea what these people are trying to do to him. And, of course, in the end, we find out that, you know, his Pip-Boy didn't work because it's bio-encoded. But just Hmm. him getting caught up in something that's even beyond what happened in the vault of just not understanding what's going on and being taken advantage of by Brotherhood or Brotherhood-like people really brought home how tragic the fate of the Garys are to me, honestly. And, And that's part of what scares me is just the whole... I have to kill you, but God, you don't deserve it. Right. Yeah. This extrapolation that um, a lot of the horrors that we humanity cause are on people who are innocent. It's, it's the people who make these decisions that create a chain of effects that end up hurting people who were never involved to begin with or who didn't deserve to be involved. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I can totally see that. There's and I mean, that's a whole commentary on politics and, war and all sorts of things in that people who are making these decisions are often affecting humans across across the globe who are innocent and have absolutely nothing to do with any of the actual decision making that's going on and overall i i did mention this was not an experiment set up by vault tech um this was just a side project by the scientists but that kind of decision that will never affect you but will affect innocence in the future is the major running theme of why all of the vaults with experiments are so messed up. Mm-hmm. So even though vault tech didn't do it, it's a very prime example of even when they aren't meaning, they aren't going into it knowing they're going to hurt people in this way, people still got hurt. Right. Yeah. So, tricky stuff. Yes. Tricky, tricky yeah. stuff. I also so, wonder if with, with the Gary vaults, because it starts out with this uh, thing about leadership. If there's not something inherently going on there with a single leader and then you end up with a bunch of Gary's who are basically the same person who are all the leader, <laughs> Almost like, it, like a hive well, mind of leaders, like a hive mind slash anarchy. Yeah. Cause there's no structure within the Gary's themselves. 
but by their very presence in the presence of non-clones, it becomes anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. So yeah, for for me, the the two two major scariest things in Fallout is Joshua Graham, even though I like him a lot, he's still scary, and just what humans are able to do to each other, even when they're not setting out to hurt people. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally, totally scary stuff. Oh, all right. Well, man, this is getting deep really quick. Um, <laughs> anybody else have any comments on, on the concept? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Cool. Well, thank you for introducing that. That was, uh, man, I'm going I'm to be thinking about, I'm going to be looking at the Gary situation very differently from this point forward. Woman yeah, on fire. Go oh, sorry. Go ahead. I can say just there's so many tiny little details of what vault either did or allowed that just the more you look into it is really messed up. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I think Voltec is probably one of the most sinister organizations in the game. And we talked about that on a previous episode. Yeah, yeah I think you called it on that previous episode there, Tom. Yeah, they come across <laughs> as like, oh, this is just us. This is what we're doing. And we're also doing some of these experiments. But really, the amount of havoc they wreak into the wasteland because of because of all of these experiments is pretty and hey ridiculous. we got cool underground apartments and bobbleheads and lunchboxes <laughs> also we might turn you into an affront against god but hey look at the bobblehead <laughs> you might live in a hellish future because of us oh god we got some we got shelter though shelter <laughs> of course we've got a hide over in nuclear world um and also, they, they present themselves, to a certain degree, they show a little bit of, of their true self, if you will, um, at least to the government, uh, in showing just how blatantly capitalist they are, and they're willing to edge away their ethics and morals to get more money. But I don't even think the American government truly recognized just how much Vault Tech was doing. Like they yeah, even I, had- I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, um, it, I, I suspect the, the, the government was in it up to their ears. <laughs> yeah, the ties between the government, the ties between uh, who in the government was part of the Enclave and their direct connections to vault Tech and how involved they were with actually mapping out those experiments because the experiments were probably connected to Enclave's backup plan of leaving the planet. All of that stuff is very foggy and unclear, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't all intentionally coordinated by someone or some small inner group of people who were all involved across the board. Um, I mean, the aliens controlled all of it. Or yeah, or the aliens that were controlling all of it. We really need to get a little bit more uh, clarity into all of that in some future release. <laughs> if, if things don't fall apart and they just can't make any more Fallout games anymore. Oh, don't but, uh, say that. That's no, the scariest say. thing of all. <laughs> That's the scariest thing of all. Hopefully we get a mainline Fallout game sometime in the next decade. And we can Please. Feel like the scariest in. monster of Fallout, Bethesda and Quadrophalic. <laughs> Oh, and everybody's reactions oh. to everything. But we're, that's not what this episode's oh, about. Right? 
we're, we're going on about other things other than that. So if you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Let's move on to Woman on Fire. You're, you're bringing us uh, some detail about the ghouls. Everybody's favorite, you know, friends, except for when they're feral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was specifically looking at the feral ghouls here, but I was kind of, um, as I was kind of thinking about it, I, I kind of noticed there were, there were kind of three different levels of uh, horror when it comes to the feral ghouls. Um, so the first one is kind of a more superficial horror just when you're playing the game. And it's it's honestly amazing that I love this game as much as I do because I don't like being scared. I don't like jump scares. I don't like horror. And those and it's so much. There's so much of it. <laughs> well, the feral ghouls, especially because they fling themselves at you and it just I jump out of my skin every single time, even if I know it's coming. Like, I know that there are ghouls down there and it will still scare the crap out of me. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it just, it, if I'm somewhere new though and I hear them like skittering about or anything like that, oh God. Or, and it, you come across the one about, you, to, to jump in uh, real quick in Fallout, in Fallout 3 in yeah. New Vegas, they, there wasn't a whole lot of skittering about. They kind of ran at you, right? But they got to you and then they would just yeah. stand there hitting you. In four and 76, they legitimately fling themselves at you. They will yes. die and fall on the ground if you, if you sidestep. And yeah, that, when I saw that for the first time, I was like, oh, crap. These guys, are, they're fast and they just like jump at you. Yeah. Well, if you're, I mean, you're not paying attention for just a second and all of a sudden you've got one just like right in your face and, it, it, and they like do this shriek thing and it just, it just always scares the hell out of me. <laughs> so... So that's kind of like the first kind of level of uh, horror for the for the feral ghouls. The second one is kind of the tragedy factor. And I think this kind of touches back to what you were saying about body horror, but it's also kind of an emotional mental horror. And that's that same concept where these were all humans at one time, and now they're trapped for eternity as these mindless creatures but you can still see these uh vestiges of the humans that they were because sometimes they'll still have some clothes a little bit you know raggedy clothes on or they'll be carrying something and you can kind of imagine a little bit like oh this ghoul has a baby rattle on them you know what is what is that about um in four um some of the ghouls have names so uh, you can find the Sanctuary Hills uh, neighbors as feral ghouls. And it's kind of easy to think about how sad that would be for the sole survivor and, and how easy it would be to imagine that any of the ghouls, the feral ghouls that you encounter throughout the game could have been people that you knew or you worked with or were your friends. And um, one of the groups that really stood out to me as far as kind of that level goes are the pink ghouls and uh, Suffolk County charter school. These were all children and that's just horrifying Even to me. Crazy. Yeah, it yeah. is. It, yeah. it just, it Things breaks my heart. You know? is, is horrifying. Things happening to children is just absolutely tragic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like one of the things I was kind of thinking about there too was, so the pace turned them pink, but did it also play a role in them becoming ghouls? And did their school doom them to this fate? That just, you know, kind of rattles around in my head and it's just terribly sad and scary <laughs> at the same time. Mm-hmm. Let me add to that uh, woman. The uh, other group yeah. that has that same flavor of tragedy is especially if you look through the holotapes and the terminal logs when you get to Kitty Kingdom in the Nuka-Cola expansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In Kitty Kingdom and Oswald trying so hard to help them because they're literally his friends. And he's waiting right. for his girlfriend to come back. And God, when I found out about that whole situation, I almost cried. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah exactly. I've played through I've played through that DLC like three times now. I've yet to be able to bring myself to kill uh, to uh, kill that magician. Oswald. I just can't do it. Oh no! Aperture flash is derping out. 
You're uh, you're getting all uh, all. You sound all digital. You may want to reconnect uh, just to make sure you've got a good connection. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, go on, go on, Women on Fire. Yes, that uh, okay. all the stuff with yeah. children is very very tragic. Yeah. So, so the third level that I was looking at um, kind of touches back to what uh, Victor was just saying, um, and that's kind of the overall societal horror and what the Im- the impact of the feral ghouls have on how the rest of the world treats the regular ghouls. And there's this rumor idea that all ghouls will eventually go feral, but we have no proof of that. And I've, I look back to double check and, and the only people who really say that that will happen are people who given their other actions have a very clear anti-ghoul bias. So there's this really destructive rumor that causes everybody to fear the regular ghouls and and if you think about that from like the regular ghouls perspective too they don't really know either so if again touching back to what uh, victor was saying if if the garys could be an autism an allegory for autism the idea of becoming a feral ghoul could be an allegory for alzheimer's disease you know, you just, you don't know. Oh, yeah. And that idea of losing yourself is just so scary and terrible. And it, well, it becomes the, this the whole outside thing. thing. With the yeah. societal, it doesn't help that humans already shun ghouls because they're human, but they're not. Right. And so, yeah. I, you know, who knows? Your ghoul neighbor could someday just. You invite him to a barbecue and he kills you. Um, I think the only close in-game proof if we have of showing sane ghouls directly going into feral ghouls is again in Kitty Kingdom. But that really only happened because they kept spraying the radi- radiation. They kept inundating themselves mm. with much radiation. Yeah. yeah. So if you remove that factor, would they have turned into feral ghouls just far later would it have taken it longer and nobody knows well there yeah because everything oh sorry go ahead uh, he's at that point it's not specific <laughs> okay. oh no aperture you're having you're having connection issues you're all digital breaking up sounding Buddy Bot is hanging out too hard with Aperture. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor. <laughs> Buddy Bot hacked your system, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't have my soundboard up. Or I would have made him say something. <laughs> he would have been like, "Yeah." <laughs> I don't know if it'll help to maybe walk to a, a different spot where you have better connection or not. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, give that a try. Give that a try. <laughs> all right. So, um, sorry, I'm in the middle of Iowa. Middle of Iowa. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been to Iowa. You're not missing much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Woman on Fire, was that the. Did you have a third point or was that part of the. I don't remember. That was my third point. point. The, that the, was the, the more okay. societal, general. Yes. What it, what it caught, the, the conflict that it causes, and essentially the racism and bigotry that yeah. the feral ghouls cause throughout this. Uh, society that you know that, that they've right. created and they cause right. it by fault of their own like they literally cannot help themselves right yeah yeah okay i mean it goes back to what you were saying about the garys really this is just this this terribly tragic thing that happened and it just has these these waves of kind of unin- unintended consequences that, that play out innocence yeah. caught in the crossfire of man trying to play god or something like that which probably a theme there <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for yeah sure. and that's a very very common sci-fi trope too this idea that mm-hmm. you, you take you take science and technology too far and start to play god and all of these terrible things come from it we, we end up dabbling in realms that we aren't supposed to and create a, a future that is uh should never have happened <laughs> in some cases <laughs> so how's your connection now aperture <laughs> you tell me bud you guys have sounded clear this whole time Okay, you're sounding better. You're sounding better. So I know you wanted to go on with more stuff about ghouls. Yes, yes. Pack up your Brahmin and let's take a trip down I-93. Just past Quincy there. 
We're going to head to the coast. Where we will find coast. a... What's that? I said, to the coast. Oh, to the coast. Where we will find a massive, rusted-out hulk of what was once known as the FMS North Star. Now, how many of you guys have left America before? Say that again, you're starting to break up again. Damn it. I asked, how many of you have left the United States before? I have. I have. Yep. Gone to a place that doesn't speak English? Yep. You ever get lost in said place? I have. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you... uh, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a person. They're in a strange place. Something catastrophic has happened. You're not 100% sure about what's going on. But no one around you speaks the language you speak. There is no way for you to communicate with those around you to figure out what's going on. The FMS North Star is a Norwegian cargo ship that was either near or docked in at Boston Harbor. They, when the bombs dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, the, the nukes send down an EMP, which knocked out most electronics, which killed their ship. They either broke loose or drifted ashore where their ship became stranded. Imagine the, terif- the terror that those sailors felt when they realized that no one was going to help them, no one was coming for them, they had no way of going home. And suddenly, the world is changing in such a drastic, horrifying way. The biggest, the biggest plot, like the, the biggest plot lines of most apocalypse films is being alone and then finding like-minded people to help you out. These people didn't have this option. They only had their crew. So they sit there for 200 years on this slowly rotting ship and it's just them. No one's willing to help them. No one can understand them. So in, in their seclusion, they become aggressive and slowly over time they start to mutate. There's no one who can help them understand who they are or what's going on to their bodies rather. Because they can't communicate. All they see is themselves and their fellow crew members rotting away into these monsters. There's no communication, so they, they can't be helped. Right, they so don't they even know why task- this is happening. They have no idea why exactly. this is, right, what is going on, why is this happening, yeah. If, if they were out to sea, they probably didn't even see the bombs go off. Uh, it's entirely likely that they just drifted back to shore. So they get there. And all of a sudden, you know, no one's going to help them. They're, they're going to attack them. What have you got on that ship that could help me? So you get raiders. You get gunners. Maybe even the Brotherhood of Steel took a few pox shots at them. So they start defending them. They start defending themselves as aggressively as possible. And I think that the biggest tragedy of the story is that they don't want to fight. They're, they're listed as raiders, but they're not. They're not going out scavenging. They, when you attack them, someone translated what it was they were saying. They were saying things like, I've got the please don't attack us. What's that? Victor has I've a translation. I, uh, I, I pulled, uh, pulled up the translations. Um, some of the most depressing are, leave us alone, get off our ship, that hurt, I'm coming home. What do you want from us? Exactly. What do you want from us? Not knowing what your attacker's motives are, I think it's the most terrifying thing in the world. Yeah, so. there's a certain... Uh, this is very similar to the whole Gary situation. There, there's a lot of... Um, uh, there's a common theme among m- many of these of, one, things happening to, happening to you outside of your control that you don't necessarily understand, and two, <laughs> the inability to communicate or actually get at the information that you would need in order to put yourself in a mental understanding of where you are and what's going on. Exactly. Very similar to the Gary vault. Like this is just, this is us. This is our place. What are you doing here? Leave us alone. (laughs) Exactly. Here's, here's a question that I, I, I just thought of because I've been doing research on the timeline for the essays of the allegories between our timeline and the fallout one. And 
by the time we hit the brink of the Great War, the, the height of the American Sino War, Europe is dealing with their own stuff. Like, they are completely isolated because of the resource wars. Mm-hmm. They're almost entirely looking inwards. So the, and the, the men on the Norwegian ship, probably the kind of common merchant sailors that you think of. So they aren't looking into high politics. They aren't looking into international decrees. They're going to work. Yeah, they're just doing exactly. their job. So even if they saw the flashes, who, who bombed? Who, who was aggressive? Were, were they shooting at our country? Exactly. You know, there's, there's and, so many questions there to leave them to not trust the Americans once they end up in uh, the Commonwealth. And you know what? They, prob- they probably had no idea the war was, was ramping up as badly as it was with the, the tech limitations. You know, the internet wasn't really a, a, a thing, much less wireless internet. So, they, yeah, it would have been radio communications. Th- that would have been about it. And, you know, when you're on a ship doing a job, you're not talking about the local politics. You're, you're talking about weather and, you know, yeah. safe ports of harbor. It's business. You've got radio, uh, you're practicing radio discipline, using it only for the most important things because, God forbid, something, an accident happens and now it's an emergency. Exactly. Yeah, isolation is, I mean, I think that's the whole theme of this show. Right? Like, that, isolation truly is... Uh, scary the, uh, as human beings our ability to gather information from the things around us in order to put ourselves in a specific place and understand where we are and what's going on is very very crucial and so much of what happens in in horror films but even just even in our own society this idea of like being isolated of being unaware of the ignorance that comes with not being informed correctly or being misinformed and misguided uh, through the use of propaganda or you know, other other forms of misinformation, uh, it really does. Um, I, I think in today's society, where information is so prevalent, the inability to get at what the truth is truly seems uh, frightening. Yeah. yeah, and well, I, was, I was also going to make a comment with the whole isolation because that that's a huge factor in. Anybody that, uh, honestly, in Fallout, anybody that we run across that ends up at least making us kind of jump or look at them sideways uh, in, in a scary sense. So I'm talking even about um, not Far Harbor, but the, the DLC in Fallout 3 where you go to the island with the fruit. and point like point like Yeah, you, you meet the ghoul, uh, I don't remember what his name is, who's fighting against the robo-brain. And they've been so isolated. Yeah. They've been so isolated from each other for so long. They're kind of disconnected from reality. And that that's scary. And all of that. And I was I was going to say, um, I I want to say there's like a specific Geneva Convention or like a human ethics uh, thing where after a certain length of time, uh, solitary confinement ends up becoming psychological torture. I don't remember what that time period is, but it's one of the like internationally agreed upon <laughs> things. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, scary stuff. Isolation. So we've decided isolation is the biggest is the biggest scary thing <laughs> across all of these. Yeah. Just don't wow. leave me alone. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> leave me alone. Don't leave me alone. Man, that's that's some cool stuff. So I was, you know, well, I had a thought. Humans struggle to be a, sorry. Go uh, ahead. Isolated aperture, aperture. Oh, sorry. I guess I died out there. I was just gonna yeah. say, um, isolation can handle it on a small scale. When was the last time any of you left your house uh, voluntarily without your cell phone? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Almost never. So I was going to pose the question here at the end of um, as we went through all the different things that like in it, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense right now because it would be really super weird. But like which thing, which scary thing would you be most likely to eat if you needed to feed yourself? <laughs> but really, that just comes down to Gary <laughs> or... <laughs> or feral Listen, ghouls or uh, mutated monster the way we talk a ghoul, a ghoul is just pre-made jerky all right like it, <laughs> it takes oh. one step it's definitely you told me cock okay um 
But I was actually going to say, with all of us talking, not only about the isolation, but there's a human element in all of the ones we've talked about, cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what, we end up in cannibalism. Um, for scary-ish creatures, I'd probably say that, like, the Meyer Lurks would probably be closest to something that would actually be edible, since they're, like, they're in the selfish insectoid family, and those yeah. tend to have a decent source of protein. But the yeah, yeah, they probably taste like, taste like lobster or something. Yeah, but so, like, the things that actually scare us as players, yeah, I ain't eating that. <laughs> right. I wouldn't uh, try and Claw. A death claw? Is that what he said? Death claw stick, yeah. Mm, death, I bet death claws, death claws, super mutants, the really, really tough big guys, I bet the meat is so hard and like gristly. Like, probably like really, really tough. Or, or hell, Yaogwai. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like a bear? Bear. You ever had bear? It's good. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the Brahmin probably are all right, right? Because they're mostly just cow still with two heads. Yeah, and weren't the Brahmin? Sorry, Victor. Go ahead. Weren't the Brahmin like experimented on before the Great War, and that's how they ended up like uh, mutating and evolving into the Brahmin we know? Or was that just a fever dream? <laughs> like, I don't know. I that's I'll have to look into that. I don't. I don't know the answer. To that. I remember there being a bit in '76, kind of right at the beginning, where you're going if you go through the people's uh, there's something about there where they start talking about huh one of the cows has two heads hmm now more of the cows have two heads oh i guess all the cows have two heads now <laughs> so I, I don't know how that came about but i remember seeing that okay I'm now I, sure was just a I saw it i was listening to chad a fallout 76 story and it was uh-huh. mentioned in diary logs that's how i found that huh. <laughs> so huh. probably may not be precise <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> well, you were going to say something. There's a lot of times where. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just saying. I think. I think I read somewhere. Fluke. Uh, we're losing you again. All right. Well, you guys have a nice night. I'm <laughs> sorry, dude. Oh, hey, that's rough. It, well, we're wrapping it up anyway. So, but thank you. For, thank Iowa. you for joining us. Love you all. Bye, Iowa. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right. Anything else you guys wanted to add while we wrap this up? Just that the true horror of Fallout is what happens when powerful corporations start toying with the lives of the common man. I mean, the, the true that's that's truly what's scary because I mean, Voltec was even planning to do it, bef- planning on these experimentations to do the stuff to humans before the bombs ever fell. And right. It's it's the the problem is when we put things above humanity. When corporations value money above humanity, when powerful nations value power above humanity, like that continually causes a problem. No matter how much we warn about it in our sci-fi, in our, in our games, it still happens. Yeah, it still happens. Because, because the people who want those things don't care. That's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's this, it's this inability to actually care about other people at large and i think that's a very very human thing there's a psychology being able to uh you can really only ultimately care a ton about the people who are closest to you and then the circle gets a little bit bigger and the circle gets a little bit bigger but once you're out to the expanse of like everyone humanity at large it it takes discipline to make yourself care about people that you will never see because they don't appear real they appear imaginary they don't affect your your life directly and it's it's part of the nature of you know evolving as a species. We didn't have to worry about humanity at large until heck the last hundred years or so when we were we've had the technology with which to affect humanity at large. Um, so it's it's a very new problem. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, there's so much to it. But one of the one of the biggest things is exactly what you said: the the people who have the biggest reach and could do the most harm tend to be the kind of not even people, but just beings or masses of humans all thinking together, talking about like countries, mm-hmm. corporations. Once they get to that level, you know, their, their circle changes from being common men to being people who are also in those positions of power and 
uh, influence. And there's no, there's no easy answer for how to handle that. No, it's, it's not. There's it's also, a very, very tough dilemma. I was going to say, there's also kind of the element of groupthink and mob mentality and just how once the wheels of those things start rolling, how incredibly hard it is to stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to other somebody. It is very difficult sure. to empathize with them. Yeah. 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 And I think that's ultimately the lesson in all of this is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the things that I find really interesting about the people's different people's playthroughs is that, um, not that there's a ultimate right or wrong way to play through these games, but oftentimes we still, when we play through these games and to put ourselves in these situations, even though those lessons are front and center, we still make a lot of the me first decisions, even when we're trying to make good choices and rather than the everybody decision. I, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but sometimes you end up with um, uh, dilemma. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but a dilemma where it comes down to you and the companion that and the thing that the two of you need and screw everyone else because I'm going to take care of the person I care about. Or, you know what, I'm going to have to sacrifice something in order for the greater good. Oftentimes in these games, we still make the decision of screw everyone else. <laughs> like, I'm going to do well, the thing that benefits the people I care about. And it's a tough decision. Well, and mm-hmm. that, that's played upon um, both by Obsidian and Bethesda in um, the, the joking meme one of the, the lesson is right in front of you and you defy it in, de- in um, dead money. If you take all the gold bars with you, you know, you've got this entire DLC of letting go of the past and you take all the gold bars with you. It's a, it's a joke I see commonly on Reddit. Mm-hmm. But the other one from four, you can easily make the most selfish decision when you deal with Cabot and make it so that it only works out best for you. And heck, even screw the guy who has, I don't remember, it's Jack Cabot who wears the artifact. Oh, Lorenzo. Jack. Lorenzo's um, the, uh, the dad who's actually got the artifact stuck on him. Right. So, like, you can even make a choice that not only hurts the rest of his family, but kind of puts him in a bad situation just so that you can get, I, it's some kind of serum or something you can get from him. Uh, if you make that kind of choice and you can see the immediate reaction from his family members. Now, do you think it's easier to make these choices because we know that this is a fictitious world? Or do you think that this is just inherently like if we were really in that situation, would we make the greater good decision? Being, being in a desperate situation where danger is always around the corner and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I it mean, makes Fix so fun. You can throw yourself in there and uh, think it through and write it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the biggest difference in playing Fallout and making those big choices is you can pause the game and mm-hmm. think. If you are physically, you know, if, if I was in person in the Cabot basement, I don't have that option. And even if I'm like, give me a second to think, you're, you have people staring at you, hurrying that choice. Mm-hmm. I'm, g- I'm going to go, I've got a real life. <laughs> Am I? Are you there? Oh, he's breaking up again. Rip. Oh. You were going to say something cool, and I, I don't think it came through. I was. <laughs> Try it again. Try it again. <clears throat> well, left lane closed ahead. Seeing people shoot up. Uh, oh, I see, what, I see what he's saying. Um, when you've got a lane closure ahead, you'll see people, oh, yeah. instead of lining up for the zipper, will try to shoot ahead to get ahead of the line. Right. And yeah. message everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, what did it do? It saved them like 20 seconds. Like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. It made it worse for everybody else for, right. for hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or at least I yeah. hope that's what you get across Aperture. I'm just familiar with the concept for my work. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yes. that's humans. Humans, right? If we just, you know, yeah. we just had less humans. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that leads to danger. I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, thank you guys for joining me. This has been a lot of fun as usual. 
Um, is there? Let's let's go ahead and close this out. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you guys or to continue talking about, this, what's the best way to go through that? Uh, to you know, get in contact, uh, Victor. What would you um, like to share? You're, you're welcome to say, just talk to me on the Discord, or here's my Twitter, or whatever. I, I honestly don't have Twitter. I I don't have time for much social media outside of Discord. Um, but if you join the Robots Radio Discord, uh, I'm Victor with a K. Uh, feel free to at me or PM me and talk, talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I love looking at the real world allegories in various video games. So if, if that's something you want to talk about, uh, just at me or PM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've been hanging out in my live streams as well. And we've been chatting uh, while I've been playing games. So if you are interested in chatting in there, I, I think it would be fun for the chat during the live streams in the evenings to turn more into this kind of thing. Because I think it's kind of a fun place to gather and get people talking about these ideas while, you know, while watching some video games happen, which is always fun. So, yeah, and it's, it's a safe place to kind of explore where, even if you don't change what you believe, you can find out the core of why you believe it when you start thinking about those bigger concepts. Definitely. Definitely. Very cool. Woman on Fire? I am also in the Discord. Um, I usually have it on in the background. Even if I'm not chatting, I'm usually paying attention. <laughs> um, and you can also find me on Twitter as Woman on W. And yeah, those are the places I'm at. Yeah. yeah, and you're one of our admins on the Discord. So I am. Yeah, so you're always there to help out if anybody has any any issues or any questions. And sure. um, I really appreciate you doing that too. Yeah, ping me and whenever you want. Aperture, Aperture, you are you here? Can you talk? Uh, he says, I give up in the chat. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. He's at Aperture, A-P-E-R-T-U-R underscore Flash everywhere. So uh, if you want to get a hold of Aperture Flash, you can do that. He's also uh, active on the Discord as well. And anybody who would like to be involved in next, next month, uh, in November's end of the month call, if you either sign up or upgrade to a tier four or higher patron before like the last week-ish of the month. Usually we record this episode on the last Sunday of the month, if possible. Uh, then you can join us for next month's talk about whatever it is we decide to talk about. You also get access to different tier um, uh, groups in the, in the Discord, depending on what level patron you are. So you can get involved in those conversations as well. And um, we always throw some ideas back and forth before we actually talk about this. And one of, you know, one of the things one of the patrons said one time was, you know, if you made it a little bit more clear that it was okay for people to uh, move up to a different tier for one month and then move down to another tier letter. And of course that's totally fine. That's totally, I don't expect if some, if any of you guys are like, you know what, I just can't afford to do tier four every month. then that's totally fine. Like even if somebody just wants to jump in for one episode to just get in on a topic and then they want to drop out, you know, that's, like no hard feelings at all. I appreciate any and all support. And the fact that you guys are even here doing this with me is a huge compliment. So thank you so much to each of you. We love so, it. I love it. <laughs> good. good, good. Well, I hope you guys do choose to come back next month and start tossing around some ideas for November. Um, we're moving out of scary stuff and I don't know where we're going to go next. So we'll have to come up with some really fun ideas, but I'm sure I'm sure we will. Yeah, I've got a couple of vague ideas, but I'll wait for later in the month to talk about them. Yeah, feel free to toss them up or, you know, whatever. It's, it's always fun to just throw some ideas around. Um, otherwise, thank you again, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, insert uh, truck horn says Aperture Flash. Love y'all. He's still typing instead of talking. Sorry, the audio didn't work out so good for you, buddy. And um, thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you guys next month. Have a good, have a good rest of your month. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 